This morning we're going to look at another part of uh, the resurrection, the part that shows you, I guess in a simple way of saying this, what was there for Christ in all that he did? What was it for? And we're going to look at that in a very unusual place, perhaps, for a resurrection service. Go to Isaiah 53 with me, please. Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to focus especially on verse number 10. We're going to look at the entire chapter in in a brief way, but verse number 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Lord Jesus Christ, this morning as we come before you, as recipients of your love, your grace, your mercy, for all that you have brought to us because you were willing to come and to die and to rise again, we thank you today. We come with grateful hearts for this day. We rejoice in this day. It's a reminder to us that our Savior is alive and that he has changed us forever. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done, what you endured on our behalf. We cannot fathom the depth of your suffering, but we rejoice today in your victory. And as we spend time in your word today, May we be like those disciples of Emmaus whose hearts were warmed as they heard you share with them the Word of God. Do your work in our hearts today. For we have come with the intentions of being praiseful people. And Lord, the more we see of you, the more we have to say thank you for. We praise you for all this today. And thank you for your word as we give attention to it now. Do your work in our hearts, each and every one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I I have had the uh, pleasure of over 30 years of sunrise services to preach. Now, I, I have to confess that I don't remember that any of those actually happened at sunrise. We tend to spread sunrise out a little bit that way. But regardless of the time of day, that it's so exciting to rejoice in a risen Savior. This event to the believer is the heart and soul of our Christian hope. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's a very significant passage there showing to us simply that if Christ had not risen from the dead, everything we believe, Everything we live for would be in vain. We would have no hope. And we would die in our sins. But the pivotal words are expressed in that passage. And they're exclaimed by us still today. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. There's our hope. And everything that we believe is anchored to that. This morning... We talk about the resurrection, but I'm going to take you back, oh, almost 2,000 years now, 
to the morning, that was the surprise. Surprise to the disciples, to the ladies who followed Christ as well. You know, it shouldn't have been a surprise, right? After all, Jesus has said it over and over and over again, that he would go to Jerusalem, that he would be taken by the religious leaders, that he would be tried, that he would be put to death. And he also said, and in three days I will rise from the dead. He told them that. Now, maybe one would argue, and you know, Peter did argue almost every time Jesus brought it up. (laughs) But they would argue that the idea is that uh, the things Jesus said were so unusual. Who would have thought that? Who would have been able to understand that? That's new to the thinking of the disciples. If we were in their sandals, of course, we would have done better, right? I want to show you this morning that there is a certain spot in Old Testament history. The resurrection of Christ was declared. The time in which this statement was made was nearly 600 years before Jesus actually died and rose again. So often when we spend time in Isaiah 53, we give emphasis to the death of Christ. The majority of the passage is meant to describe the very vivid picture of Christ's death. We have walked through this passage before, quite a number of years ago. 2011 was the first time we went into Isaiah 53 together. And we spent most of uh, 2012 and even a couple of sermons in 2013 uh, Walking through Isaiah, Isaiah 53. That was always our communion message. And when we looked at those passages here in Isaiah 53, these 12 verses, we found some key themes and statements about the death of Christ. We find that we are sinful and we deserve God's wrath. We find that we are rebellious and we refuse to listen to God. We find also that Christ came to our spiritually barren, morally depraved world. Why he would even want to do that. We find that Christ took our sins and our punishment. We find that Christ took our ridicule and our abuse. And yet Christ's death satisfied his need and our need, and even the Father's need. And when you reach down to the very end of it, Christ will save some. Aren't you glad you're among that list? The passage I read to you this morning not is, is just not only about the death of Christ. It's about His resurrection too. And this is what I've always wanted to do. Preach a resurrection sermon from Isaiah 53. So, look at the passage with me. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Then we're going to focus on verse 10. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of a parched ground. 
He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men. And yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great." And he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Look back at verse number one. Set your focus on this phrase just for a moment here. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Obviously, the four gospel texts given to us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the fact that the disciples did not believe Jesus would rise again. We find them in a locked room. We find them in fear of the Jews that they might be the next to be arrested and crucified as well. We find them grieving at the loss of Jesus. We find them surprised when he comes into the room right through a locked door. Even when Mary came and reported to them that she had seen Jesus, Luke records, and there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who were with them telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. That's an astounding thing to record, isn't it? Now we also know from the record that the ladies just mentioned had their disbeliefs as well. They were coming to a tomb that morning not 
to see a resurrected Lord. They were coming to add burial spices to his body. They were coming with a question. Remember? Who will move the stone for us? Were they expecting a resurrected Lord? Hmm. When Mary even found the tomb empty, her first response was not, He's alive! But what? Where did he put where did you put him? That was her question to who she thought was the gardener. Where did you put his body that I could take it away? In the last three years of his ministry, Jesus cured lepers, given sight to the blind, gave the mute the ability to speak. Gave the deaf the ability to hear. Walked on water. Multiplied bread and fish twice. Calmed a storm. Raised from death a young man. And a little girl. And a friend named Lazarus. When John the Baptist asked if Jesus was the one they were looking for, or should they look for someone else? Jesus answered him and said, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. What else do you need to know? He didn't say that. I added that. You know that. But honestly, they had seen it. They had seen it. They had seen it. So here's the question. It was a question for them, and it's a question for you. Who has believed the message? (laughs) And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, we protect our doubts. We protect them with the idea that, oh, it was easier for them, because they could actually see Jesus, right? That makes faith so much easier, when you could actually see Him. They saw His miracles. They saw Him after the resurrection, But what does Scripture say? Faith comes by seeing. No, Bill just corrected me. He knows. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. God's Word is sufficient for us, folks. We didn't have to stand outside an open tomb. We didn't have to be up in an upper room. We didn't even have to put our fingers in the marks in His hands. In God's Word, we read of His miracles. We see the arm of the Lord revealed. We have a message given to us and we're confronted with the truth. And the question is, who's going to believe it? Who's going to believe our message? And so here's the point. We have what all these others didn't have. Now, they did have some access to the Old Testament prophecies. But the history of a resurrected Lord was being lived out in real time for them. If you had been back there, would you have had more concrete faith than you do now? Would you have needed to put your hand in the marks on his palm to believe? 
You have something special today. It's the completed Word of God. The Gospel record. The history is given to you. And a history of changed lives. Disciples were turned to apostles. Thousands were saved in a single day. Missionary movements spread across Asia Minor and into Greece and into Rome. The church grew and produced men and women of faith. And we have in our history now the Wesleys and the Luthers. We have the Tyndales and the Calvins and the Spurgeons and the Moody's and the Crosby's. And so many on and on and on. Someone who believed spoke to you one day. Somebody who heard that message brought God's Word to you. And in your heart, you answered that question. Who will believe the message? And your answer was, I will. And you came to know Christ as your Savior. Am I right? What is the message? What is the message? In Isaiah 53, the first Nine verses, most of the chapter. Isaiah records, Christ would come, and to those to whom He came, He was not received. Christ would come, and they would despise Him. Christ would come, and they would reject Him. Christ would die. Our sins He carried. Christ would die. Our transgressions pierced through Him. Christ would die crushed by our iniquity. Christ would die scourged and chastened and believed by so many that He deserved it. Christ would die. And yet, He was silent against those who reviled Him. Those who drove the nails. Those who taunted Him to show Him one more miracle. Come down from the cross and they would believe. They wouldn't have believed even if He had. But Christ bore our sin. Christ took our judgment. He dealt with our oppression and our transgression. He took our stroke of death and He was buried. In most stories, that's the end of the book. That's where we silently close the covers and sit in shock, sit in grief, sit in hopelessness. Verse 9 doesn't end the chapter. Verse number 10. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. And here's where we are today. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. You don't say that about somebody who's dead and gone. You don't see a grave and talk about future events. 
Yep, there it is. He will see his offspring. Picture it, if you will, just outside the opening of that grave. If you were in there looking out, you would have seen the beginning of the offspring of Christ. Several women showed up. One stayed behind and cried. Two disciples came running. One was faster than the other. Both ran into the empty tomb. Still, ten more of his offspring were locked up in an upper room. And a week later, there was another one with them. Soon, another would be added to the eleven to make up twelve apostles. And then sometime, even his brothers, born to Mary and Joseph, responded to faith. On the day of Pentecost, fifty days After the weekend that Jesus died and rose again, 3,000 more were added to the offspring. In the weeks to follow, many believed in the Lord. Multitudes of men and women were constantly being added to the number. Soon there would be another one, a Benjamite, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, confronted with the risen Lord, now among his offspring as well. From there you go to Antioch, more offspring. To Galatia, more offspring. To Ephesus, more offspring. To Crete, more. To Troas, more. To Philippi, more. To Thessalonica, more. Down to Athens, more. And Corinth, more. To Jerusalem, more. To Rome, more. Everywhere the message of the resurrected Lord was proclaimed, the more there were of the offspring of Christ. I cannot give you a number this morning. It's been 2,000 years of this. And that number is not completed yet. It's not over yet. There will come a day when Jesus stands before us in heaven. When he takes the scroll from his father's hand. When his saints, his offspring will break into a song. And they will say, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe. From every tongue. From every people. And every nation. You may say, that's kind of big. Are you sure? I'm sure. You will have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. These are the offspring of our Lord. As he came from the tomb, his offspring started to appear. The number grew, and at some point in your life, you became one too, didn't you? 
Have you? Have you believed the message? Has the arm of the Lord been revealed to you? If you believe what is recorded in this book, then you are seen as one of His. One of His. And if you haven't seen that, if you haven't believed that, will you today? That's our invitation. Will you today? I'm not asking you to come and join the church or anything of that nature. I'm asking you to know this Savior can be yours today. That's why He died. That's why He took your sins. That's why He rose again, so that you might become one of His. And you can believe that today. Jesus died and rose again on your behalf. When Paul wrote those great words in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, and by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the words which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you of first importance, that I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He didn't say according to the disciples. God had recorded it many, many years before that Jesus would rise again. It's in your book. There is no question for you today other than this one. Do you believe the message? Do you believe this message? You see, I don't believe that Jesus went through all this just to put a red number on our calendar and give us a day off on a Friday. He gave His life for you that you might live forever with Him. Do you believe that? That's His call for you today. That's the message that He has given to you. Today, if you belong to Him, you have every good reason to rejoice, don't you? If you don't know Him, will you come to know Him now? Will, we, will you respond to the message now? We're going to be closing with a song here in just a moment. And I want you to think about what the Lord has done. Think about what the Lord has done and make it personal for you. For me. This kind of life, this kind of death demands a response. It demands something of us. There's a song we love to sing toward the end when we get to the point. This demands my life, my soul, my all. This morning, if you want to talk to me or somebody else in this room, say, I want to know about Jesus. I want to know how I can be saved. Please take the time to do that today. If that's on your heart, find somebody to talk to. If you want to talk to me, I'll be right up here. Right up here. Heavenly Father, thank you for recording this in your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done to purchase us. To give your life to die such a horrible death 
one that we deserved, you took our place. And yet, look at the hope you've given to us, Lord. Look at the place where we stand today because we have believed this message. We have seen what you can do. We have seen it recorded in your word and we believe with all our heart today. What a wonderful Savior. Lord, if there's anyone in this room today who needs to know the Lord, you alone can change a life. You alone can bring them from death to life. You alone can open their eyes. We pray that you show again another thing that you're great at and save another life. Bring in another offspring. Lord, we would rejoice greatly if this was a day that somebody among us would come to know you. But for so many of us who do know you, we rejoice today. Thank you for what you have done. We praise you, our risen Savior. We praise you today. In Jesus' name, our Savior, alive forevermore. Amen.